Heyo, Johnny Dumas here, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, and welcome to Team Engineered. If you're looking to lead a team of engineers or engineer your team for greatness, tune in now with your podcast hosts, Jade Green and Kyle Probert, and be prepared to ignite. Afternoon, morning, depending on where people are listening from, right, Kyle? This is true and what time of day it is for you. It is afternoon for us, for both of us. I was actually on a call just earlier with people in Canada and America. So that was, um, yeah, it was a good morning for me and a, and a good evening for them. It's always, it's always fun dealing around the world like that. It is, it is. And, and I like, I get on like, good morning, and they're like, it's 8 o'clock at night here. I'm like, good evening. <laughs> well, they're saying good afternoon. You're going, yeah, but it's three o'clock in the morning. Like I'm up at three yeah. o'clock in the morning to talk to you. Yeah. We um we deal quite a lot with some Canadians, and so because they won't work past five o'clock in the afternoon. Once we hit daylight savings, it's five o'clock in the morning. We've got to be talking to them. Oh wow, yeah, dude, that's heavy. That's, that's heavy. heavy. That's heavy. But we did good on them for five o'clock knock off. Yeah. Good on them. They're hard and fast. French-speaking Canadians. Yeah. That's what they do. <laughs> Love it. Love so it. we squirreled off a little bit today uh, or just then. So today, <laughs> unlike us, but so today we're, so going, like us. we're going to talk about Code of the Extraordinary Mind, busting the bullshit rules of society and becoming an extraordinary leader. This is a really cool one. I've I, um, I'm pretty excited to talk about this particular book and um, I know that you must be because this is what you teach. Oh, wait, this book came from my Canadian friend, actually. Um, before, before I, she knew that I had it as my goal that I said that I was going to fly to KL and convince Vision to license me in Australia to be the uh, Australian Mind Valley representative, and and everyone kind of laughed at me. Um, but but Latvia did not. She did not. And uh, you couldn't get the heart, you couldn't get a physical book in Australia yet. And she found it in the airport, and uh, and got it back, brought it back for me. And I was like, so this is very, it's very dear to my heart. How cool! How cool! On multiple levels. Yep. So we have someone telling us that they would love to read it. Hundred percent, you should. 100%. And I will say also, because we're going to talk a lot about it anyway, but there's a lot of exercises through the book as you read through the chapters and, and all of that. 100%, you've got to do the exercises. Actually, get yourself down. Um, I I used the book and the quest on Mind Valley this time last year, and this was my morning journaling. So it was really, really good to sort of open up um, to get thinking, to really settle into, you know, who I wanted to be, what I wanted to achieve, and, and some of those bigger picture things, and push all the the noise aside. And this was, you know, it's, it took it's thirty days, so it's thirty days of of really solid work or morning work. But it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, and if anyone does want to drop in, if you just go to www.mindvalley.com forward slash forward slash extraordinary. Uh, you can get the workbooks and the online experience that goes with the book, or you can reach out to me because I'm licensed to present this as a seminar, and it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of what we do within our sessions with our teams and on ourselves as well. Um. Well, well, what I'm really disappointed about is I didn't wear my t-shirt, and I, I was. 
I had planned. I planned to wear my t- – no, I had my Ben Reality T-shirt on the other morning. Uh, the T-shirt I was going to wear, the wings. Oh, no, I've got the wings. I had that on this morning as well. Uh, so I've got my wings. Uh, I've got my Ben Reality, uh, like, flash dance shirt. But I have a singlet that Vision gave me when I did my training uh, that he thought I should wear with pride, and it says, unfuckwithable across the chest. Um, yes. Yeah. So I'm tempted to start there, but that's really step nine in the 10 steps of uh, living an extraordinary life. The back end. So maybe we should start with the bullshit rules. Oh, well, I need to get closer to the computer. Yes, the rules. Look at you. You're one step ahead of me. Uh, With all the lights I've got in my face, I can't actually see the screen very well. It is hard when you're recording. Often you can't see very well what's on the other end. So the uh, rules of society. So rule is a bullshit rule that we all tend to tr- just naturally fall into conforming with. So why should we not pay attention to the bullshit rules of society? Oh, I love this. So let's give let's give a couple of layering. There is actually one. There's a kind of a step you need to understand before the bullshit rules. But, you know, bullshit rules sounds way better. So it's the programming we take on from the culture scape. Now, the culture scape is everything around you that help that programs your beliefs and your operating system, right? So that's like how you were brought up, like what your parents believe, what, what type of schooling you went to, your government, your religion, your even your friend circle to a certain extent. So it's it's all of those external inferences that are your culture that help that help form your beliefs and the way you operate in the world. Now, not always is the culture scape and the programming, the beliefs that you take on board, really beneficial to who you want to be as a person. So you've got to, once you once you go through the code of the extreme mind, you start to ask yourself better questions. Like, do I truly believe that? Or do I just do that because I was told about it? How does that actually reconcile and sit with me? So this is where we start coming into the consciousness and the self-awareness and, and asking ourselves, like, is that is that my truth or is that l- relative truth? Like, is it real truth? So now, Phil, the- I have to offer an example of a brule. Yeah. So, I'm as a as a dad of daughters. Um, I'm I'm really passionate about girls. You know, growing up in in essentially equality or having equal equal opportunity. Okay, and and not bended the other way. So, a, a bullshit rule that girls are very much pushed into is that girls shouldn't play footy, should they? Uh, I didn't get that memo. I didn't get that one. <laughs> Wait, no, I got that memo, and they said you can't play gridiron because you're a girl. And I went, I'll make my own league. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm not great at conforming to rules or any sort of other rules, and I'm also not great at um, following the gender norms, which I, I wear that, I wear that proudly. I'm, I'm currently in my pretty dress with my sneakers, looking at my surfboard and my skateboard. Um, and I probably will go for a skate dress like this a little later. But um, but that is the norm, right? Like little girls should wear pink and dresses. And little girls don't play football. They play Barbie dolls. Uh, I, I grinded Barbie's boobies off and gave her a mohawk, which was mortified my mother. Um yeah, I'm not the reason the way she is. I just want to say that. Um, <laughs> but 
that happened. No, this happened. I'm backing out of this conversation. Uh, but that is a really, that's a really good one. And another, another stereotype brawl is boys marry girls. And, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to university, you get a degree, you get a good job, you probably find the wife or the husband first, then buy the house and put up the picket fence. And then you just grind and then you retire. And yeah, oh, you have two and a half kids as well. That's like a marker of success. And if you're a woman, yeah, they're half ones. They're like, I don't know, half baked. But and also, if you're a woman, you have the baby, first baby by the time you're 30. Um, and the women do the babying and the men do the, the, the working. And like these are, these are some of the bullshit rules of society um, that we can conform to. Uh, or, or we are tried to me to conform to. Yeah, and stay-at-home dad. You know, like think about how many people, when someone says they're a stay-at-home dad, look at him like, you know, he mustn't have a penis or something. Yeah, like what? what's wrong with you, you fairy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like... I don't think anyone said that to my dad. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I've, I've got friends, um, you know, and one particular friend that, that was stay-at-home dad for like the first five years of school and, you know, he was amazing at it. Like, you know, it, it was just the way it all fell that, you know, it worked better for him to be the stay-at-home dad. He was still he was running a, a lawn mowing business, so he was doing a few bits and pieces around the place. But he, because of that, you know, he constricted it to school time, and you know, he was amazing. You know, while he could, he was in at school helping the girls out at school and, and in the classrooms and everything. You know, and like he was a really positive role model for all of the kids that he was coming in contact with. Now yeah. that couldn't have happened if he wasn't a stay at home dad. Yeah, and. The, that would have been probably really heavy because of the judgment upon him as well. Like that takes a big set of balls to step up and do that. Um, Absolutely. And he's got him. I'll give him yeah. that. He yeah. he just owned it. You know, it, it was – there was – when he said it, there was absolutely no no fear around it. There was no remorse or anything else like that. When he said it, I'm a stay-at-home dad and I love it. I fucking love it. And it was so good. It was amazing. <laughs> so good. So good. Let's talk about like some of the bullshit rules that we come across in the workplace. Like what some of the what some of the societal norms or the things that we think we should strive towards in the workforce that that may not be real truths for us. <laughs> well, I guess the first one is is that you've got to climb the ladder and constantly be trying to take the next step. Um, and I was I was almost going to the first thing that came to mind when you said it was hierarchy. Yeah, hierarchy and climb the hierarchy ladder. Like, you know, you must be a manager, like even if you hate people because that's that's what the marker of success is. Like because, you know, anyone that's good at their job becomes the manager and, you know, that's the – and then you get the pay rise and you only get the pay rise if you're the manager. And just not all people should be managers. Some people just hate people. And and I I love to tell you – uh, business owners never ever ever promote your best salesperson or your best technician to manager because then you don't have your best person doing their best job <laughs> like you lose like and you wonder why sales drop and you wonder why the things don't get done the way the other guy did it like they if if they're a really amazing technician and, and they love what they do 
and you force them into management or, or society forces them into management and that's not their jam, they're not even going to be able to pass on their skills because maybe they don't know how to. They don't necessarily love people. You've taken them out of the thing that they love and you've lost your best person that was doing the job. Now, how are you going to backfill that? <laughs> <laughs> and so the flip side of that is also not to limit people that that have the potential yeah, just because they're really, really good at it doesn't mean you shouldn't take them out. So it's a two-edged sword there, but it's 100% right. The, the person that can do the job well doesn't mean they're the person that can lead everyone else in it. And just because the person – like it doesn't mean you have to promote the best person doing it because I don't know about you, but how many football coaches have you seen that probably wouldn't make amazing running backs or halves like – or do you know what I mean? Like – if you if you look at them like they you know often they're way better on the sideline than what they would be on the actual field so don't think that you have to promote the person who's the best at doing the job into the actual job like sometimes you're better off someone who really gets it especially and someone who gets people and is able to teach it and able to see it like often I don't know about you I'm often I can see it and I can teach it much better than I can physically do it like I can actually teach people how to surf but then i'm like okay body the things i just now, said do now it do the thing go yeah yeah go. Like, the really easy one that i'm really battling with at the moment just fucking look where you're going yeah that's the one head down oh i'm struggling so much why, with that one why, at the moment why do i keep going down i don't oh, know oh far out like so and look who's gonna be right, watching and, and going I tell the Phoenix this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really, really true. So even with um, with the work that we do with um, like tradies, you know, a, a machinist, for example, that, that can operate a lathe. Now, while that fits in my trade as a whole, you don't want me using the lathe. I'm friggin' useless at it. But I can certainly coach someone through how to use it, how to use it safely, because I can do that bit. I certainly know that bit. I can tell them the things that they need to know to be able to go and practice, and I can assess what they do as to whether they're doing the right thing or not. All of those things I can do quite well. I just can't fucking do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and, and it's so true, though. Dance mums or, like, dance teachers, like, a lot of them, they may have been good back in the day, but I look at them now and they're pirouettes. Not, no, no, no. Yeah. But they can and they're correct not doing the splits. within a millimeter. No, <laughs> but they can correct within a millimeter for someone for, for someone turning. So, but this doesn't nest like this. I think the workforce is the number one place that we don't see that thinking get translated. Um, and and often also another bullshit rule is like how long you've been in a job is how long when you should get promoted or when Absolutely. you should take the promotion. Um. And that's a hundred percent a rule that I'd like to dispel when it comes to workforce leadership. It should never be based on how long someone's been there because someone could be there and do a seventy percent of their effort, like only work to seventy percent of their capacity, but then they get the job over a guy that's only been there for a year just because they've been there for tenure, where the other guy's been given it a hundred and ten percent nonstop. He's probably done more productivity in the one year than the old mate's done in ten, but. And but we got there's tenure. other factors to that as well. So, um, you know, a, a really good example is if if you've got a, a kid with 
disability and you've lived with that kid and, and all of that for 10 years and then you go into a job that's supporting disability um, disability support, so you know wh- whatever clinical work you're doing there, yeah. you probably don't realise how much of that 10 years is work experience. In the field. <laughs> like, and, and not only that, but it's not 80 hours a day. You've done 24 hours a day. Four hours you've a been day. In, like every piece of it. So you, you, without the, you don't have to have done the study bit to gain the experience. It's once you've, you've done the study bit after the experience that you join all the dots. And that's why you become so much better at that job than someone that, you know, they qualified with you at the same time. They've started at the same time, but you're leap years ahead in your clinical yeah. skills because you've got all that experience. Yeah, you've had the practice in, in the field. Yeah. And if and that is so targeted at someone and if they're listening, pay attention. Yeah, you better be <laughs> listening. Otherwise, I'll grab the book and smack you with it. Um, but that is so true, right? And that, and, and that goes for all different types of industries, changing industries. Like there's so many skills that you can learn in another capacity coming across that are transferable. Like like we even when we were hiring for you, we're like, you know what we need? We need work mum because what mums know how to juggle shit, deal with people's drama, put out the fires. Like they, they just got this. They've got these skills that, you know, your your average trainee doesn't have. <laughs> um, and But somebody else will be like, Oh, but no, they've only, you know, they've been out of the workforce for five years, 10 years. So they've lost their skills. Dude, do you know how much it takes to run a household, especially with a couple of special needs kids and a husband that's off to work and like then some, that's some serious level management right there. <laughs> and and that's, you know, try, trying to recognize those skills in people can be really, really difficult. Um, yeah. An, another really good example is, um, you know, someone that that's, qualified in a in a particular technical area and when they come into the business they really stay there not very long and they move straight into a supervising role wholly and solely because their personality their mindset their their person is so much more suited to leading the team and by having the technical skills enough they understand the front line work so yeah it, it always it's always one of those things that seems to ruffle feathers quite a lot where I oh, look at this junior just climbing the ladder going for it you know what the hell would they know how could they lead me yeah <laughs> yeah and again that circles back to you know it's not always the best person on the field that should be the coach on the sideline yeah absolutely um, I want to circle back to the to the uh, hierarchy because that's a really important thing too right like because we we put managers or supervisors on pedestals in in the old constructs under the bullshit rules of society those people are put on the pedestals and often they're paid a different rate and things like that now i'm not saying they shouldn't if they're they're carrying extra burden but they're but we need to have a look at that structure and go hey well without the superstar technician there's nothing for the manager to manage or that we need to more even flatten flatten the curve within the the org chart and this is why I love with our team, we've got a network and it's like, okay, cool. Like I might be leading the huddles, but my job is just to clear the hurdles for the for the technicians, the the ripple creators to be out doing their thing. Like I'm not up here. I, my job is like I, I serve you. you. Whatever you guys need, I'm going to make this happen. And in our walk chart, the, the ripple creators, our, our frontline staff are at the top of the page. 
because they're the frontline staff. You know, realistically, everyone else is supporting them so that they can do their best work so that as an organisation we can achieve the goals that we want to achieve and the impact that we want to achieve. And But it's it's all networks. You know, we're, it's not a hierarchy. We don't run on a hierarchy. Um, your job, my job, you know, it's, it's, to, it's to do something else. And, yeah. you know, just because you're steering the boat doesn't mean that you know everything else that's going on on the boat. Yeah. Yeah, so one, that's one of the bullshit rules I'd love to dispel today is that just because someone is a supervisor or a manager doesn't put them on a pedestal above and to try and look at how you can flatten your org chart into it and look at it more as a network and how the pieces work together and how each role is equally as important as another. Like, without work, mum, the whole place fell to shit. <laughs> like, okay, we kept it. We kept it. We were like little duckies. But... But do you know what I mean? Like there was a new appreciation for the admin function when we went without for a little while. Yep. Yeah. And it was hard work. It was definitely hard work and, and you know, we had to work around it, and but we survived. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that we just had to go through, unfortunately. But everyone got everyone got some more gratitude out of it, I think. So. <laughs> now, uh, I, I was going to say, as a as a leader of a team, whatever that team is, okay. So whether you're a boss man, whether you own the business, whatever that team is, it's really important to um, keep the focus on your team members should be able to do their job better than you can. Yes. Yes. No matter what, like you know, they they should be able to do it better than you can. That's their job. Now I might. And, and I might have a higher level of skills than those people, um, but if they can't do it better than me, that's my job to make sure that they can. I should be, you know, and sometimes that's because I just don't have the time to do it. You know, time is one of those factors that we just don't have an infinite amount of. So, you know, when we, when we talk about our team members, we should certainly be looking at them going, you should be able to do this job better than me. What do I need to provide to you? How do I support you so that you can do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's your job to set them up to, to succeed and to make sure they can do it better than you. Because otherwise, if you're better than them, you're in the wrong job. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Let's, uh, do you think we've dispelled enough of the culture scape and the bullshit rules of society? <laughs> we, we've, we've sort of certainly delved into it fairly deep, but yes, definitely. Let, let's take the next step. Okay. The next step. Consciousness engineering or, uh, yeah, upgrading our software. I reckon, so for those of us that feel a little bit when we talk woo-woo stuff, we're just upgrading the software. We're just, we're just, just reprogramming the things. Software. Yeah. So I love it. I love like the analogy is um, you probably don't have a computer that's still running Windows 95. Or right? DOS. Or DOS. <laughs> Look at the dot matrix printer, uh, right? Half the listeners are like, I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> ah, shush. Pipe down, you whippersnappers. Pipe, pipe down, whippersnappers. But if we really think about it, right, we, we always are updating our hardware and our software when it comes to our equipment. Well, why don't we look at our brains like that? What does that even mean? What's, what's that mean to you? So we should... We have a, an innate desire to constantly learn. And, you know, if we suppress it, it yeah, you know, we can suppress it consciously, I guess, but we, we're innately curious beings and we, sh we should 
live to that. We should try and use our curiosity to learn and constant learn. The problem is, is that learning can only take us so far. We've got to sort of expand out of a knowledge thing. Because we don't have a knowledge problem, we have an implementation problem most of the time. <laughs> most of, yeah, pretty much most of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's, but for some reason, what was coming through to me then, I just I started thinking about Michelle Crawford's uh, mindset models, and I was thinking about the passenger. So because you said we all have an innate want to learn in some ways, and often where we're often where we're curious. But the passenger mindset, which is 71%, I think it's 71, fuck, I should know, I only certified like two weeks ago, 71 or 73%, sorry, Michelle, 70-ish percent. If you're watching, uh, Michelle, drop the number in for us. Yeah, Michelle, because she's usually watching on LinkedIn. I think the LinkedIn feed's coming through. Facebook is, we've got our uh, behind the scenes tribe, guys, if you're watching this on um, the produced version, we do have our behind the scenes tribe uh, having access to, to us in chat. But I can't see the names of the people in Facebook, but LinkedIn usually tells me. Michelle, if you're online, tell us the exact number of disengaged employees in Australia. It's somewhere between 71 and 73% passengers along for the ride. So they are not consciously. So when we talk about consciousness engineering, it's making conscious choices. It's acting with intent and really deciding for ourselves what we want to believe and where we want to grow. And for me, what was coming through then is there's so many people in the passenger mindset. They're waiting for someone else to go, here, go, spoon feed. You read this. You do that. Um, I'll look, you're like, they'll do the learning when they're, they're spoon fed it. Um, or they're just kind of, you know, learning by accident. They're not consciously engineering the states that they want to be in and the mindset and then actively choosing the culture scape and the models of reality that they want to live by. So going, do you know what? This hierarchy management bullshit. I seen a friend that moved into management, hated his fucking life. Uh, the extra money was not worth it because actually he got a higher base, but he lost all of his commission because he was a salesperson and he's working 10,000 more hours than he used to. And he's stressed out of his mind because he hates people and I ain't going there. Um, right. Or like another path. So being able the the idea of consciousness engineering is you sorting through the shit and going, okay, which part of the culture scape is actually true for me? What's right for me? What bullshit rules of society have I been conforming to that I just choose not to anymore? And then going, how can I accelerate my growth to upgrade my hardware and software? So uh, I can get this wrong. Steve, if you're watching, you just were talking to me about this this morning into the chat. Tell me. Um, I think the, the, oh, the software is our, um, our, our operating system. So the software is our habits, behaviors, and routines that back up our hardware, which is the upgrading and the learning of like the, the knowledge. So the knowledge is upgrading our hardware and the action of the habits, behaviors, and routine is upgrading our software. So rant done. No. <laughs> now I was having a bit of a grin there as you were talking about the passenger. So, um, the passenger mindset was actually, Kind of my idea. Um, so Michelle and well, I were sitting there. Michelle down. will credit you 100%. I was wondering if you're going to jump in. She, in the mindset training, she said, this comes from Kyle. 
<laughs> I, look, I, I don't want to, I can't claim complete and utter ownership of it. So the whole mindset model is, is most definitely Michelle's. But when she was explaining it to me very, very early on, she had the four pieces, very, very similar to Michael Beckwith. And I sort of went, there's a piece missing. There, there's this piece missing right in the middle here. And it's the person that's that's just floating along. That's you know, they they're not necessarily in the sufferer or survivor mindset, but they're certainly not a driver of any sort. They're not they're not pushing themselves at all. They're just kind of kind of chugging along. So um, I sort of had a bit of a grin as as you were talking about the passenger mindset because um, I still vividly remember sitting at the but cafe. It's the majority with... of the world. <laughs> it is. It is. And you know what? There's if you're happy with that place, there's nothing wrong with it. And that's 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 a really key thing. Is if that, you love complacency, you just hang out down there. You have a mad time. And and look, these people are the people that turn up to work every day. They do what they have to do. If they're pushed, they'll do a little bit more, but they won't go looking for the more. And so, yeah. you know, in in all honesty, if you're happy in this place, that's a that's a perfectly good place to have. I actually said I had I had some of the. <laughs> that I used to believe lived in complacency land and uh, contentment. And I'm like, fuck, it must be nice in there. Like, just just so, just content in complacence. <laughs> it's also really important to point out, though, and I, and I know we've sort of gone a little bit to the left with Michelle's mindset model stuff. It's really important to point out that you might be a thriver in one part of your life, but you may be a passenger or a survivor in another part of your life. And if you think about all the parts that make up your your world and your mind and your your life, you know, in parts of it you will most definitely be thriving, and in parts of it you may actually be a sufferer and and not doing very well at all. And that's perfectly normal as well. So you know, in in your workplace, you may very well be a passenger. You might as a as a employee you might be just chugging along doing the things that you need to do ticking the boxes everything's good but outside of that you might you might run the local soccer club and you're an absolute absolute thriver you might be you're the goer you're driving everything you know you're a completely different behavior set i'm not going to say person behavior set i was going to say beast hold on the beast (laughs) (laughs) well see michelle will say that the person is the same in each situation. Mm. So you, the same the person goes into changes. each situation. It's, yes. Which which can come from your own drivers and your intrinsic and extrinsic motivators around something and your own interests. Like, and then if we drop back to Stephen's stuff, I'm that it's all layering together for me now. But when we look at those intrinsic and extrinsic motivators or the things that make us be able to do impossible things or, or drive us, it's like what's our motor in, motivator in this situation? Where are we curious about something? What meaning have we attached to something that helps us to to go to that level? We may be not feeling as fulfilled or creative in our work and we do it because, you know, I'm good at it, it pays the bills, but it allows me, by doing a job that allows me to stay within the nine to five seat and not have to take other things home with me, allows me to step up and be that person that drives the community soccer club and drives that. And if you had both, you may be able to not be able to do both. So it, you may not have a relationship. Like so, it's it's uh, sometimes sometimes there's that trade off, and that's totally totally cool too. And that's why this this is about you choosing what your model of reality is. Like so, you might go actually, I'm I'm totally cool with being a passenger at work and just not not trying to climb the ladder over there. 
because what's more important to me is my ability to contribute to the community or my ability to contribute to my family or for for me to upgrade my learning. Like I really want to, for these years, focus on learning a new whatever it is. And that's my choice right now. But the whole premise of this is you choose your reality. You bend your reality to suit what actually suits you. Don't conform to the rules. Don't conform to the bullshit rules. <laughs> oh, geez, isn't isn't that just perfectly scoped just there? So, it is like it's it's like it was not an accident. It, it, it was like it was meant to be. So I'm I've, so I've mad I don't have my top on now. <laughs> I've been listening to some Michael Beckwith stuff, and um, so have the you? Code of the Extraordinary Mind talks about the four levels of consciousness similar to um, Michael Beckwith. So a little bit different to Michelle's mindset model, but there's four layers. And the easy, I, I really like the short, distinct description that um, Michael Beckwith gives where, you know, as a, as a sufferer, things happen to me and then ha- things happen by me, happen through me or happen as me. And I think that's a really, really interesting way to think about all of those different levels of consciousness where, you know, if you think things are just happening to you, then you are really, really low down. <laughs> Have we got the four? I can't see it big enough there. I uh, can't you? Yeah. So in the middle, living in the culture scape, that's where everything happens to you. Uh, the awakening is where you start to realize it can happen by you. Then recoding yourself is where it's happening for you. And then when you're becoming extraordinary, the ha- world happens through you, like you are actually actively creating the change and contributing. Yeah. Really interesting way to start thinking about what the small steps are to elevate your consciousness. So, you know, if, if you are feeling like all of this stuff's just happening and, and it might be only in one part of your world. So, you know, I, I feel like all of these things are just happening to me and causing me to blah, whatever that happens to be. So the first step is, is to work out how you can control that. You know, how can you actually do something about all of those things? Take ownership of it. You know, we talk about extreme ownership, but take ownership and then take that next step. What what can I do to take control of what's going on? That might be taking control of your emotions more than anything else. Deciding, deciding the mindset that serves you, deciding. Like it's one of those really hard things, like especially if you've been if you found yourself in victim mindset, the sufferer mindset, the everything happens to me mindset, like it's it's tough down there, right? We There's, there's a couple of other models if people um, subscribe to different psychological stuff. It's like it's the below the line, like it's the red level. We're radiating from, a, um, from an energy field of scarcity um, and lack and um, it's a low vibe. Things happen to me on red level. And it's super hard. That's the hardest one to move yourself out of, right? So it takes daily things. And this is this is where we start talking about the gratitude practice. Like one of the key ways to start leveling yourself up from, from sufferer to survivor and from survivor to passenger is to do a gratitude practice, a daily gratitude practice, which is linked into one of the next ones, which is like living in discipline. But it's, if you if you train yourself not just to like list check the the gratitude but to really think like often one of my things on gratitude and you, you'll know this because you stole me a plant uh, it's like like things that make me happy walking past Jasmine I didn't about steal midnight. the whole plant I took a no, piece of you it took a cutting 
Uh, <laughs> but no, like, I feel I'm- I actually have to explain this a little <laughs> bit more. So as, as you said, you were walking past it and it brought, it actually brought joy to you. you it was yeah. something that lit you up and you, you went, oh, just, you know, this just really lights me up. So what I did is I looked up whether we could take a cutting and grow it and then by the time we'd walked to the next one, I'd found that we could do that, so we did. <laughs> so we took it home and I was very grateful for that. <laughs> um, but I like where my gratitude piece came from for that, like people like gratitude for Jasmine. I'm like, no, but my gratitude is that I can walk freely down the street at midnight because usually when I smell it is at midnight. So I used to – it started when I used to ride home. I used to nanny uh, five days a week for a couple of little kids after school and then I'd get to ride my bike home at midnight like that I lived in a place that I was safe enough as a year 10 11 and 12 girl to a as a girl allowed to just have a job and do whatever the fuck I wanted b but I could ride my push bike home at midnight on any given night and on a summer's night smell the jasmine and like that was the smell of going home <laughs> so now I know I'm like oh so like when I backlinked that gratitude it stemmed with the happiness I got from Jasmine but it, it was like oh my god I can just I don't have to cover myself up I can choose what I wear I am like I'm relatively safe where I go and I don't have to worry like I have so much gratitude that I live in this country even as fucked as it is right now <laughs> I, I I still <laughs> da da that daily gratitude thing can be really, really easy to implement as well. So, you know, what um, I was using the Best Self Daily uh, Planner. So um, with it, at the bottom of the day, so you, you've got a column and you've got all your tasks and your, your day stuff, but at the bottom was what are you grateful for today? What, what was the thing that, that actually inspired you today or made you feel happy or whatever, you know, whatever that term is? So it's actually really easy that you know if you if you've got a to-do list or whatever it is as you're finishing up your day as you're reviewing what's going on for the day just think back through it and go okay so what did I actually enjoy today what 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 am I grateful for in my whole day and it it could be a little thing like someone got me a coffee or someone you know someone called me or I really enjoyed a conversation that I had or you know the kids were easy to get along with this morning or whatever it is you know but just my technology all worked <laughs> and pay attention to it though just you know give it give it some focus and go oh yeah that was good you know I, I, that was actually good and it's a really easy step to take. Um, even, it's so even hard if, to wallow in misery when you're like being grateful for things, when you're looking at, when you're focusing on like, this is the thing where your energy, where your focus goes, energy flows. So if you are always focusing on lack and you're always focusing on what you don't have, that's what you're going to see because you're telling your brain to find the, find the things that you're missing. And whereas when you flip that and focus on what you do have, then you start looking for more reasons and then ultimately your vibration rises, your happiness rises, and then all of a sudden things just start happening for you. And Kotler will say, and Kotler does say, that it's biologically impossible for you to wallow while you are showing gratitude. Yeah. Now, it's not biological, it's... Um, Chemical. Yeah, it, it, it's 
physically impossible. It's actually it's actually a brain thing. You can't actually wallow in your misery while you are showing gratitude. So that yeah. and there's re- he's got research to back it, which is really really cool. I, I don't have a pen on me, but the other thing you can do, like if you want to make the choice to get out of your shit, like we talked about this morning, like making sure you you feel your whole range of emotions. And we're not saying don't feel your full range of emotions. But this is about making that conscious choice. You go, do you know what? I'm not fuck. I'm okay. I'm done with that now. I'm ready to move on. It's like if you bite on a handful, the corners of your mouth turn up, and the physiological, the physiological, um, I don't know what happens, but basically, when you smile, it releases the chemicals, like the physical smile. So you can trick yourself into, like, feeling that, feeling the joy by sticking a pencil in your teeth and smiling. The face turns up, right? So, but then the with the gratitude, the different chemicals that are released in your brain as you do that, that's how you can, like, you might have to force yourself to sit there and you're like, fucking up, what the fuck am I grateful for today? And then start thinking, like, I dare you, like, when you're really struggling, then think about, say, some of the people that are stuck in the middle of India right now. And then just ask yourself, what have you got around you that they don't have right now? And then you'll start to have some gratitude. Like, yeah, just just think of the yeah. You, know, you if if you think you've had a, a really really bad day and absolutely no nothing to be grateful for, I would say that that's a choice that you've made the choice to feel that way. Well, life is a choice. It is what you choose, right? Um, that that power quote definitely comes from ah. Uh, I'm not sure if I got it when I read the code or whether it, whether that actually came from uh, conversations with God. But basically, probably a good mesh of all of that together uh, is where my power code of life is a choice, it is what you choose came about. And it probably actually probably came to me when I was like sitting on my carpet with snot pouring out of my nose, bawling my eyes out, my life's fucking over, it's ruined, like I've just been served my divorce papers and I don't know what's happening with my business and I hate what I'm doing and my I can't play gridiron that I've worked three years building a league for because my ankle's fucked and someone blew my knee out and I missed out on playing for Australia now and I was supposed to fly out in two days and, you know, everything's fucked. <laughs> everything's fucked. And then I looked up and I'm like looking at basically a, a full horizon of water. I'm sitting in the sunshine of my $860 a week apartment uh, looking at my Lotus going, okay, maybe I should just harden the fuck up right now. <laughs> give, give yourself a slap uh, and get up off the floor. <laughs> I think Andrew gave me this. Andrew just came in and goes, wow, that's a lot of snot. He's like, are we going to the races? I'm like, I don't come to the races. Look at me, I'm a mess. He's like, well, you better not be there when I get back. ah nice get up (laughs) (laughs) i like it so so small tips to elevate your consciousness is yeah that daily gratitude just just pay attention you know find something just one thing that you you thought was actually you know interesting or fun or good or made you feel good you know that's that's the first steps in elevating your consciousness Mm. 100% and then shoot but then choosing your model of reality, choosing what beliefs you that really serve you and, and tapping into your soul. So there's a, a whole lot of work around that. Um, the, the next step is discipline. Now, we know that I, we know discipline is rather close to my heart. Give, a, give us your version of discipline, Kyle. What, what do I, 
Oh, I, I feel I like I'm being through? tested. I feel like I'm being tested now. I'm, I'm going to have to get it right, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Think back to the 4th of January. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it, is the student judged by the master or the master judged by the student? Oh, shit. You've got this. I believe in you. <laughs> Whatever you say, it's 100% right. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, discipline. Obviously, the it's the it's doing the discipline, doing the habits, doing the things so that you can live your life in bliss. So, what that means is that bliss doesn't come just naturally. It doesn't just come. It's not just a good thing that just pops out of nowhere and just happens. Bliss is something that comes to you by having the discipline to do the things that you need to do and have the habits that you need to have so that you can have bliss. How do I go, Master? Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, One of the things that I intersplice with this is actually from Jarko, and I don't know if it's from his Extreme Ownership book, but that uh, the number one – oh, actually, it must also be in the code because Steve wrote it on the mirror the other day. Uh, Discipline equals freedom. So the number one contributing factor to having freedom is having discipline. You've got to have the discipline to do the things to set yourself up to have that. The same thing with bliss, right? When we when we get busy being busy and we don't make the time to go and do the things that we love, and then we bitch and whinge about, I don't have any time for myself. I don't. I haven't skateboarded. I didn't go surfing because well, you had this the other day. I didn't go surfing because I was too busy. Well, actually, no. You just, in the end, you decided you just could be fucked, and that was fucked. Um, but like the you do need to create the discipline what everything you say yes to you say no to but if you want to live in bliss you have to go okay what truly brings me joy and how do I make time for that what do I need to do and that's a choice like you know we've all got the same hours in the day as Beyonce so how you cut and dice it how productive you are with your hours how many monkeys you put on your back that maybe aren't your monkeys how many boundaries you didn't set is up to you it's your choice right and sometimes, you know, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. But most of the time, if we actually broke it down and we looked at our ideal week planners, we looked at flow, we looked at how productive we were, we look at how many monkeys we've thrown down our back out of either laziness because you couldn't be fucked teaching the person how to do it properly, you didn't think about how you could communicate better so they could do it right, or out of my problem, significance, wanting to overserve, right? Once you once you free that up and have the discipline to put yourself in, your discipline will come. So that's uh, habits, behaviors, routines. It's but it's getting that connection to what you really want, really knowing what what brings you joy. Yeah, and and like so, you touched on another brule. <laughs> Jesus, it was really topical to have that written there today. So you touched on another one where um, the overserving. And and this is a really common one, and and it's sh- like it comes up, you know, uh, under you know overperform all the time, always do more than expected, and it becomes if it becomes too ingrained, it becomes a habit where you know mm. either you or your team spend way too much time over delivering, trying to achieve perfection, you know. And what happens is that you can't have the bigger impact. So you can't have the, the you know, the, the mass impact that you want to have because you're too busy focused on one thing instead of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's, a, it's a skill to learn to be able to not do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it is really, really hard. It's really, really hard to, 
take that that bullshit rule, you know, that that culture scape that we're, we're probably almost all of us are used to, you know, like kids in school aren't taught to get a C, they're taught to get an A or an A+. plus. You know, we're, we're, it's programmed into us right from the start. So, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the discipline in that is keeping focused on what actually has to be done. So, you know, if, if I have to do one task, then do one task, not one and a half or two of them. You know, yeah, don't, yeah. don't do the extra. If, if I've got to put 10 hours into doing something, there's a reason that it's limited to 10 hours. So mm. work on 10 hours. You, know, you want to have a fucking good excuse why you went over it and make yourself accountable. I sound yeah. like a terrible boss, don't I? <laughs> don't spend too much time. <laughs> like, go home. Horrible boss. <laughs> and, and Get that, your shit done and, and leave. <laughs> And, and that's, that's how, um, you know, you can quickly end up in this overworking stage, particularly as an employee where, you know, I just, I just want to, you know, I just want to touch it up. I just want to, you know, I, I want to have that little bit extra on there and all of a sudden you're behind and, you know, as soon as you're an hour behind, you're 10 hours behind and then it's a, it's a road to nowhere. So, you know, yeah. it's important that you keep yourself accountable to what you should be putting in so that you're not you know, missing out on delivering to everyone else. Well, there's, there's another bullshit rule in there about the, the time. Like so many people like think that the the measure of how hard someone works is how many hours they're in the office or online. And so they, and a lot of them don't realize like half the time they're just wasting time or they're procrastinating, busy being busy, not being productive and burning out. So this is a real challenge to to leaders and to, to team members to, to look at the productivity and the output that actually comes, not the hours that are dedicated to something. If you can get something done equally as good in five hours as you can in 10, you're stealing from the company doing 10 hours because you could have done another five hours on something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, a little harsh. A um, little harsh. A little harsh. Then, but let's move into the next thing, being unfuckable. Do you remember? Do you know what the def? What did what did I'm fuck with them to you? We we really need that shirt on you, don't we? I know. I'm like so. Just that's it. I'm getting a white one printed. I look. I I reckon, and and to make it a really short description, it's being solid in yourself. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'll uh, the the definition in the book, but there's actually one online if you just Google it as well. But when you're truly at peace and in touch with yourself, nothing anyone says or does bother you. And no negativity can touch you. So yours is perfectly thin, solid in yourself, right? Um, right? That's, that's like we're not seeking validation from the outside world, right? You're, you're, you're strong in your own character. You're strong in – oh, here we go. Someone else. Uh, if, you're on, if you're adding comments, make sure you add your name because it doesn't, it doesn't give me uh, your names at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but it's it's really about, you know, you've got that commitment to, you've decided, like, what rules are for you. Like, got rid of the bullshit rules. You've figured out your model of reality. You're really, oh, hi, Daniel. It was Daniel that um, put it up. It's, it's about you having the conviction that you've decided this is how I want to live and this is how I want to show up and this is what serves me, right? Um but, you know, and it's not about 
like I, I'm think of Mark Menson as a subtle art of not giving a fuck. That it's it is about not giving a fuck about the wrong things, right? Mark says you only have a certain amount of fucks to give, so don't waste them on shit that's not important. So why waste them on people whose opinion you don't value? Like if if someone is judging you and they've never been in your shoes, um, right? It's it's what right? And this again now I'm thinking of Brene and Roosevelt. Like if they've never been in the arena and and been in the war, they have no right to judge, right? So we give too many fucks about people judging us and we wouldn't like we wouldn't give those person like a time of day so why why care um people that have heard us in the past that we hang on to that we that we we stick to what like the pain and you're smiling uh like for me mother um right when we attach this because of a bullshit rule of society that i should actually care what like they should care i should care and I, I was harboring up until this book a whole lot of anger and resentment. and But, you know, oh, she's my mom and she shouldn't be like this. And I'm the daughter and I should feel like this. And, like, this bullshit situation, when you become fuck with, unfuckwittable is when you can forgive, not, not in terms of permission. You don't give permission of what that person has done. You're not going, this is okay. But when you can forgive and go, okay, you got your own shit going on, whatever you came – you can't, your soul came here for this journey around to learn some sort of fucked up lesson so you can ascend. That's that's on you. That's all good for you, right? But I don't need to be a part of that anymore. Thank you very much, right? And just go, do you know what? I forgive you. you you're, you're going through your torment. That's not my problem anymore. And I'm, again, I'm going to give that back. Hurt people, hurt people. Here you go. Off you go. Great. I'm unfuckwithable now. Your shit doesn't bother me. I'm Teflon. So I think one of the hugest pieces in, in being unfuckwithable is being able to forgive, not not give permission. That doesn't say that we, we let people off the hook completely, but get into the place. <laughs> Your audio went a bit funny as you did that. Um, so... I was going to say it's also being really solid in the decisions that you're making around your own life and and who you want to be, what you want to do, you know, all of those choices that you're making, just being super solid in, you know, this is my decision to make, this is my decision to own, and really it doesn't matter what anyone else is trying to throw at me. This is this is my journey to have and my choice to have. Mm, yeah, and really choosing whose input you care about. Like, again, this is that consciousness engineering consciously choosing who like if there's people's values and people that you really value their opinion because you align with and have similar beliefs or similar structures then great value what they think of you don't value what some random does or someone who you wouldn't even like you wouldn't invite to dinner like them (laughs) and but also make sure of the story that you're telling yourself and make sure that it is true um, you know, what you're hearing and what you're feeling is actually a truth, not just something that you're telling yourself in the words of Brene Brown. You know, mm. what's the story that I'm telling myself? Yeah, what is the story I'm telling myself about this? And 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 re- redefine the story. Choose the story. Choose how it serves you. Um, okay, so where are we at? Um, I'm just saying in the chat, 
I was just seeing in chat the the person that was um, talking about the software upgrades and uh, software and hardware upgrades was Stephen London. Uh, we had Daniel uh, Kethel. Um, so, and I think Tash has been on board, and potentially Michelle's been in there as well. So, thank, thanks everyone for your contributions. Um, so, really, I think the next step of discipline, though, like, is we, we're creating our habits and behaviors in like the d- discipline now to be able to live our bliss here in the now. But it's also having a future vision that pulls us forward, but doesn't pull us so far out of the now. Like the gratitude practice. The habits, behaviors, and routine keep us happy in the now while still being pulled forward by the mode of reality that we choose to have and how we create that vision. But the only way to, to step into that, like, is we hear, like, what, what you believe you can achieve. So if you draw up and think about this, your model of reality that you want, this future vision that you want, but you don't have the belief because you're not yet unfuckwithable then you won't see that come into reality. So a bit woo-woo for you there, but the, that's the work I think you need to have. So sometimes you need to become unfuckwithable to be able to truly make your future vision. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you have the confidence to make it your own, mm. to hold it as your own. Yeah, because otherwise we end up setting means goals, a means to an end, which are com- conforming to bullshit rules of society in terms of I'm going to have a baby by 30. I'm going to buy a house by this time. Like, and like, once I get this, I will be happy. The if, the if then, um, which is by Rao, um, Shri, Shri Kumar Rao, um, the if then paradox, the, the happiness of like, if I get this, then I'll be happy. And you're constantly chasing. And too many of us get there and we're like, okay, got the house or got the babies, not happy. This is actually so not what I don't want. <laughs> or I've got the management job. I hate spreadsheets and people, right? The, the, it's a means to an end. Like we think that that's going to um, give us the status or give us the whatever. Like, or if I buy this shiny sports car, then I'll feel cool and then I'll be happy and then people will respect me. So the the idea is when you're un, unfuckwithable and being confident in who you are and you can get rid of all that stuff, you can focus on the end goal and you want your end goal to be self-fulfilling. You want it to be motivated purely by what think, well, not motivated, driven by what you can completely control. So we should never set goals that are tied to another person. Like I want to get married to this person, live to this age with this person because you can't tr- control what happens to that person and what their journey is or, you know, when they're going to pass or whatever, right? But you can have an end goal of I want to be surrounded by love or I want to be the best partner I can be. I want to be the best parent I can be. Things that you are able to control but sitting into the emotion, what's the actual end result that you want to experience? Yeah, and the, the self-fuel goals are really important to keep you going each day. They're the intrinsic motivator. They're the things that you know, get you out of bed, that keep you doing your habits, that keep everything else going along. And yeah, you know, they should they should all be that intrinsic stuff that's inside of us. You know, not not an external. There's still nothing wrong with having those other goals. You know, those those means goals. They're still okay and they're still perfectly reasonable to have. It just shouldn't be what is always driving your life because otherwise, you know, if I want to earn a million dollars and put a million dollars in the bank, what do I do once I've done that? 
Mm-hmm. It's the astronauts. Astronauts come back and they're like they sink completely into depression. Athletes. Athletes are some of our worst for falling into depression and alcoholism and drugs because they've achieved their big goal. Sometimes they don't even feel the elation. They, they're unable. They're like, oh, I got there, and it actually now it doesn't mean anything. And their whole identity is, is shifted. So, like, I love that NASA now focuses on helping the astronauts set other goals before they go in space so that they're not left in a place of nothingness. But the key thing is it's okay to have the means goals, but as long as those means goals are still driven by your own in, own personal things, not the bullshit rules of society. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, you know, the, the goal of earning a million dollars, if that's to drive a, a, a particular thing, then that's okay. But if it's just I want a million dollars, then, you know, what, why not have a goal of something like I want to, be, want to have enough income to live comfortably? Yeah. See, the thing is, we see a lot of business owners set a goal of a revenue goal of a million dollars. And I know a number of coaches that are in my coaching program that they achieved their million dollar revenue. Problem was it cost them 1.4 mil. But they were like, got my million. They fucking ground and they sold their houses and mortgage shit to get there. Now I'm a real coach because that's what they decided was the marker. Now I'm the real coach because I'm a million dollar coach. Uh, no. <laughs> and you got somebody else over here that's uh, a $500,000 business who's who's operating on a shoestring and clearing three fifty. You're four hundred in the hole. They're three fifty in front. <laughs> who's the who? Who's the real coach? <laughs> yeah, make sure the goals are actually suitable goals and and driving in the right direction. Now, have we hit the top of our list? The very top the very top of our list. We've got the goals. Did we? Pulling it all together in a life of meaning. Mm. I don't know if you can hear that storm that's about to hit me here. Um, It's a good one. Sounds like a good one. Glad you got the washing out before we started. That's why we were late, people. Carl's like, gotta get the washing. <laughs> and by the looks of it, that fight, I timed it perfectly because I'd be standing yeah. here going, oh, we need to wrap uh, this up. The, washing. <laughs> the washing's on the line. So, wrapping it all together, bringing it all together. What, what have we got to do to bring all of this stuff together? So, the way that we pull it all together, there's a like really getting connected to your life's meaning, right? And this can sound like a huge, big, daunting thing. And you don't, it doesn't need to stay with you forever. Like, uh, it's okay to evolve it. But finding that real purpose for you and getting connected to that. So the way you can do that, like there's some exercises in the book, like around the three most important questions, like what do you want to experience in life? How do you need to grow to have those experiences? And then how do you want to contribute back to the world once you get there? So, And your world can be your family, your friends, your community, your career or it can be the entire world, but it, it's getting connected to what it is for you. And that's when we're talking about those extrinsic, intrinsic motivators, that's what will pull you forward on those dark days. Like really thinking about like, what's what's that driver for you? What's your purpose? And like, even you can even break that down. I don't, it's not really in the book, but like even when you're at work, you can break down, what's the purpose of my job here? And I love our, our boy Bear, who's on our team. Like he, he said to me today, his job with Skate Connection, he's like, I just, he goes, I'm so inspired by the what you've said to me. I'm like so inspired that I don't have to think about this as my forever job, but 
for the next two years, I'm going to be the best fucking employee that I can ever be. I'm just going to give it everything. He's even offering on Monday, they're not got the store open because it's a public holiday and, and it's new and it won't hit the numbers, that he'll go in and he's like, maybe I could just trade for stock. They've got a heap of extra stock. I need to know my product, brother. The store needs to be relayed. Rather than paying me public holiday rates and not and they like it's not suitable to open the store, I'm going to go and propose this. And I'm like, wow, right? And he's driven, like he's now driven to be, what can I do to be the best I can be? How can I grow? What would this mean? How can I contribute? And what does that do for me as a person beyond that? Like that sense of satisfaction and 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 um, contribution. Like so, you can break down each area of your life and go, what is the purpose for this? And like we said before, the purpose of your job might be just so that I don't have to think about it outside of work. I'm picking a job that's inside these lines that gives me the safety, security and money that I need so that I can drive this. And that's totally fine. And if anyone then judges, you can go, you know what? Fuck you. This is my, this is why, right? It gives you the unfuckability. Yeah. But find out what a life of meaning means to you. And you can only do that when you get rid of the bullshit rules of society, when you clear away from the mess of the culture scape and get connected to who you really are. All right, so that's getting that life of, of your personal meaning. But there's a great tool in the book, and if anyone wants it, uh, I will find a link. The team put a link somewhere here, around there, um, to the six-phase meditation, which is the, the six steps which is grounded in the six human needs that allows you to integrate all of this stuff into a daily practice. So do you remember what the six the steps of the six phase, Kyle? Or am I putting you on the spot? Uh, I don't remember all the steps. You're, you're challenging me there. Excellent. I know, I know. Uh, well, it's because it's a lead. You don't need to remember it, right? I better remember it. Uh, so when we think about the six, six steps and how, like, how it layers with um, the six human needs, we want to get tapped into being able to consciously contribute to the world around us and to oh, – I'm seeing – ah. We got people that do the six phase every day. Maybe Daniel should tell us the six steps, right? Um, right. So connection, connection to to the out, the stuff beyond us, beyond us. Okay. We want to tap into the gratitude, right? We want our daily gratitude practice. Sitting into forgiveness because we drag that energy hangover, that fucking anchor around with us. Now start easy on that. That doesn't mean go forgive your, you know, mother that's next level uh or the ex that's like spawned you or you know start little like the dude that cut you off in traffic <laughs> um the waiter that spilled your wine like but starting with the forgiveness so practicing these ste- these steps then tapping into your your ideal vision that that thing that's going to pull you forward so the first few things have got you centered in the now so we've got happiness in the now right and then we're going to be pulled forward by our future for the vision a future vision. Uh, I'm seeing your light flash, Kyle, and I was like, ah, it's throwing me off, right? A vision for the future. And then we're going to use segment intending to really call this into reality. This is a bit of the woo-woo manifestation-y sort of stuff, but it's really about there is actual science behind it because once you program your brain to find the things and we program ourselves to focus our energy on the positive, focus our energy on finding the solution to get the result that we want, our brain goes into action and, and does that for us. And then we want to call it in with a blessing a higher power than us and that higher power might just be your higher self right vision likes to give a fist bump to god 
uh, I see myself directly connected to source and radiating light and I feel it wash over me, connecting myself and knowing that I am on my I'm I'm talking to my soul and I'm on true path. Whatever it means for you to call that home, to seal it and send it to the universe with your clear conscious intention of how you want to bring all of this into reality so you can live an extraordinary life. I would have loved a bit of a thunder clap then. That would have... There it is. And on cue. <laughs> uh, awesome. Beautiful. So reach out to us if you want any more detail on this. The I'll see if I can splash the book details back up there again. It's probably it's one of the most recommended books. I have a, I have probably five books that I e- recommend equally, but I... I love this one so much that I flew around the world, spent days and hours and weeks and you can't imagine how much money flying around the world to be able to integrate this not only into my own life but bring it to teams and leaders so that we can all step up and live an extraordinary life. Yeah, it's an amazing book. Everyone should definitely get on it. And of course, like always, if you got something out of today's message, please share this podcast wherever you're you're on it. Subscribe to the channel that you're on and um, most definitely forward it on to someone that you think in your life might need to hear this message. That's it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Team Engineered Podcast. Are you ready to build a kick-ass team, weaponize your workforce, and live an epic life? If so, connect with us at www.teamengineered.com. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.